0: Um, if you have your Bibles or if you want to use the TV screen, go right ahead. Turn to John 15. I'm going to look at verses 1 through 11. If you've been following this teaching in John, Jesus knows his time to be crucified is at hand. Matter of fact, if you read John, when you get to chapter 13, all the way until the time he's crucified, it's hours. Chapter 13, through the time he's crucified, chapter 20, only hours before he's crucified. And since chapter 13, until chapter 17, he has been given a series of discourses to his disciples, teaching them, encouraging them, comforting them, And here in chapter 15, he reminds them and us, he reminds them and us that he alone is the means whereby we can bear spiritual fruit and glorify God through that. Let's read our text, John 15, verses 1 through 11. I am the true fine. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that shall bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in him, in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this Father, breathe upon this text as it is preached and bring life into all our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to start off with an illustration from Moody Publisher. A dinner plate left out overnight will be hard to clean in the morning. And for those of you who have done that, you know that if you leave a dinner plate out overnight, it's hard to clean in the morning. An alternative to scrubbing is soaking the dish in hot water and a dishwashing liquid. Now, I hate to do that. My wife hates to do that. You know the reason? Because we're fanatics and we like to get everything done. So we'd rather scrub the dish instead of letting it soak overnight and then when you pull it out over in the morning, it's easy, the grease and the, all the stuff is easy to come off. Letting a dish abide in the solution will allow a hard cleaning job to become a lot easier this is what abiding does for Christians we are much easier to clean up when we've been hanging out in the right environment religion says scrape off the dirt it tells us to apply elbow grease to fix a problem relationship says soak just sit in the hot water for a while abiding will set you free The proposition that I'd like to start off with and challenge you this afternoon is how do we bear fruit and glorify God? We abide in Him. We abide in Christ. Three points I want to bring to your attention out of this text. We're only going to get through one point this afternoon. The next time I speak, we'll go through the next two points. But I'm going to tell you the three points. Christ is the only source of our spiritual fruit for ab- for those abiding in Him. Two, Christ is a consuming fire for those who are not abiding in Him. And number three, Christ's life flows into us as we abide in Him. Point one, Christ is the only source of spiritual fruit for those abiding in Him. Let's read 1 through 5 again. I'm sorry. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now this is the eighth. Some say there's seven. But I believe there's eight. And the last of the I am sayings of Jesus, which by the way, way, confirm his deity. Confirm that he is truly God. The first one in chapter 6 was, I am the bread of life. Then you come to chapter 8. He says, I am the light of the world. And chapter 8 again, before Abraham was, I am. Uh, In chapter 10, I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Um, In chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. In chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this last one, chapter 15 here, I am the true vine. However, he adds this one added component. And my father is the vine dresser. So what we have here in chapter 15 is an actual beautiful description of a vineyard which portrays God, the church, and his relationship to the church through his son Jesus Christ. The father owns the vineyard, Jesus is the vine, and his followers are the branches. And of course, as with any parable, or in this case a metaphor, we need explanation and background. It's very interesting uh, and important that we understand these imageries Jesus used to describe himself, his father and his true followers, to have an accurate interpretation and to get the big picture. You always want to get the big picture of what the text is saying. He starts off by calling himself the true vine. Now, repeatedly in the Old Testament, Israel was pictured as the vine or the vineyard of God. Isaiah 5.7 seven. For the vineyard of the Lord of Hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. In Jeremiah two twenty one, yet I, meaning God, planted you Israel, a choice vine, holy of pure seed. And then the famous one about the vine uh, of Israel is Psalm eighty verse eight. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. God took. Israel out of oppressive Egypt and oppressive Pharaoh took them through the Red Sea took them through the desert and planted them in Canaan and where they drove out many of the nations. In the Old Testament, the vine was symbolic of Israel, the covenant people of God. William Barclay said the vine had actually become the symbol of the nation of Israel. It was the emblem on the coins of the Maccabees during the Maccabee period. One of the glories of the temple was the great golden vine upon the front of the holy place. Many a great man had counted it in honor to give gold to mold a new bunch of grapes or even a new grape on that vine. The vine was part and parcel of Jewish imagery and the very symbol of Israel. Israel was planted and carefully Cultivated by God. And in due season, he expected to collect fruit from it. Isaiah five two. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it and he looked for it to yield grapes. But it yielded wild grapes, meaning useless grapes. When a farmer or anyone plants a vegetable garden and painstakingly takes care of it over the months. He waters it, he cultivates the soil, loosens it up, fertilizes it. He does everything he has to do. Towards the end of the season, they expect the return of beautiful, luscious fruit and vegetables. Well, God expected fruit from his people. He expected them to carry out his work, to uphold justice and mercy, to be a blessing to the other nations. But all they produced was sour grapes, sin, and disobedience, disgracing the name of Jehovah God. A vine grows branches, and from those branches, if the plant is healthy, it produces rich, good fruit. Now, I love, I used to love gardening. You know, doing my little tomato plants. I don't do it anymore. But I used to love cultivating, taking care of the soil, pull out the little things that didn't, you know, that would suck the life out of the plant, the little suckers that grow between the vines. I used to love doing that. And at the end of the season, I expected to yield a lot of tomatoes. Many times I did, many times not so much. Israel was supposed to be that vine, but they produced sin, disobedience. Israel's failure made them an empty vine, barren branches, good for nothing, but you know what they were ripe for? Judgment. And that's why Jesus now comes on the scene and says, I am not just the vine. He says, I am the true vine. When Israel failed to be the light of the world, where Israel failed to be a blessing to the world, Jesus is now going to be that blessing. Jesus now displaces Israel as the plan of salvation for the world. He is the true void. Now the Greek word for true means it's real, it's genuine, it's true, it's dependable. In other words, it's distinct from counterfeit or imperfect like Israel. Just like he's the true light, the true bread from heaven, the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus is now the true Israel of God. Dr. Gary Berg, in his commentary, says, No longer is Israel automatically seen as vines growing in God's vineyard. Jesus is that true, healthy fruit, Bearing vine. And the branches that abide in him, not just attached, we're going to look at that, but abide in him, they bear fruit. We're going to elaborate on that in a few minutes. Jesus is the true vine and his Father is the vine dresser. This, of course, in no way diminishes Christ's divinity. Jesus is and always will be fully equal with God the Father but distinct in roles as we have seen numerous times in our study of John's Gospel the Father, a vine dresser can mean farmer in Second Timothy 2 verse 6 and in James 5-7 it's addressed as a farmer as one who merely tills the soil which in Palestine is usually all that is done for the vineyard But here it's best used as a vine grower, as in the parable of the tenants, in in all the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Apart from tilling the soil, the vine dresser primarily had two responsibilities. He removed fruitless branches and pruned the fruitless ones, the fruitful ones, I should say, so they could bear more fruit. And I'll speak about that also a little later. But now I want us to see that this metaphor Jesus is using is not so much about believers and unbelievers as it is about people that profess to be attached to Jesus. One is a genuine branch, a genuine believer, and the other is a false branch, a false believer. But both professes of Christ and have attached themselves to Christ. But the true believer abides in Christ, whereas the false believer doesn't. Both are branches, one is true and one is false. A mark of a true branch, a genuine believer, is they bear fruit. A mark of a false branch, a false believer, is they have no fruit. Let's examine a true branch first. A true branch bears fruit. In other words, abiding in Christ results in quality Christian character. We see this in verses 4. 4. Five and eight of them, which we just read in chapter 15. And I want you to hear this. It is impossible to be a fruitless Christian. This text clearly states that if you read the parable of the four soils, it's talking about fruit. It is impossible to be a fruitless Christian. He saved us to be fruitful. He saved us to be productive. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship in Christ, Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them in Titus 2.14 Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who was zealous for what? good works and in James 2.26 for as the body apart from the spirit is dead so also faith apart from works is dead so we can see that God saved us to be productive, to be fruitful. That's what he wants out of our life. He wanted out of Israel's life. And they failed miserably. Well, what does fruit look like? If you remember, God expected Israel good fruit, like qualities of justice and righteousness. These were inequalities that he was expecting from them. He didn't care about the external. He cared more about the internal. Similarly, God expects these inequalities from true believers. Galatians 2, uh, Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. By the way, fruit is singular. You don't just get some of them. The Spirit of God produces all of them in us at one time. Now, they may be, they're going to develop, yes. They might be small but they're going to develop you don't have love and then don't have patience you don't have patience and you don't have love you have all of it together it's one package but it develops over time but this fruitfulness as Dr. Kent Yu says is the reproduction of the life of the vine in the branch Jesus is looking for the fruit of his life in us let me repeat that Jesus is looking for the fruit of His life in us. In other words, these qualities are produced by the Holy Spirit of those abiding in Christ. This is not something that you and I produce in ourselves. It is the work of God's Spirit of those who are abiding in Jesus Christ by faith. If we possess these inner attitude qualities, then the fruit of active good works will follow, like soul winning, people influenced, or giving money. Whatever that that fruit will look like outwardly, it starts with inequality fruits. Again, Dr. Kent Hughes says, if the inward graces of the Holy Spirit are not present in our our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, if these qualities are not present... And he goes on to say, not perfected, but present. If they're not present in our lives, we must face the fact that we are not, we may not be true believers. There must be something of the life of the vine in us if we belong to God. There must be Christ-likeness. Now, it is possible for a person to have outward signs without having the life of Christ in them. But it's impossible to not have the inner attitudes of the spirit and be a genuine believer. Once again, the inner fruit of the sp- fruit of the spirit in a genuine believer's life will eventually bring outward fruit. Now let's examine the false branch. There are people who look like true branches, true believers. They have outward appearances of spiritual fruit. They are part of what the theologians call the visible church. They are even attached to Christ in some way, but they are not abiding in Christ. It's a big difference. The life of Christ is not flowing through them. They may have raised their hand at the preacher's invitation for accepting Christ. They may have been baptized. They may have even attended Bible study, but they have never been transformed. They have never been born again. They have never been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And if you remember in chapter 13, all of Jesus' disciples were in the upper room eating the Passover meal. And Jesus spoke of one of the twelve betraying him. Judas was that one. Outwardly, you couldn't tell Judas from the rest of the disciples. So much so that when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, guess what? The disciples had no idea what Jesus was talking about or whom he was talking about. Jesus told them in chapter 6 that he chose the 12 and he said, yet one of you is a devil. Jesus was a false branch. He is a classic example of someone who attached himself to Christ in some way, but never abiding in Christ. He was never saved. There was no good fruit in his life. There have been many Judases since then up until now. And that's why Jesus could say something like this in Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 to 24. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name? And do mighty works in your name? These are the ones that looked like Christians. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They are the false branches that looked like the real deal, but were apostates in their hearts. In the visible church of Jesus Christ, there have always been true believers and false believers. And Jesus told two parables in Matthew 13 concerning this. The parable of the wheat and tares and the parable of the net, which contained good fish and bad fish. In the church there was wheat and good fish which represented true believers and weeds and bad fish which represented false believers and sometimes it's impossible to discern the true from the false believers because they, they look alike spiritually and that's why we need to be very careful about saying who is and who is not a Christian this is not speaking of course of someone who denies Christ We know upon the authority of Scripture that they're not. Or if someone has bad fruit, Jesus said you will know them by their fruit. Or maybe someone claims to be a Christian and went up to an altar call, but their whole lives, they deny the Scriptures, what what the Scripture teaches, and they always argue with a believer when the believer talks about God, Christ, and the Scriptures. No, I think in those cases we can assume they're not the real deal. Being a Christian now for almost 40 years of of my life, I can't tell you how many times I've crossed paths with professing Christians only to be disappointed by their speech and lifestyle. What comes out of their mouths of some and the way they live, I can't help but doubt their salvation. But the truth is, sometimes it's easy to tell who the true and the false Christians are. And sometimes it's just not. And I'm glad God didn't make me the judge to sit there and try to figure out who's saved and who's not saved. However, make no mistake about this. Hear me. God knows those who are His. Paul told Timothy in the second letter, chapter 2, verses 19, he says, But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal, The Lord knows those who are His. Are you abiding in Christ? And are you bearing fruit? That's a question I think I have to periodically ask myself. Am I abiding in Christ? Am I bearing fruit? That's a good question to ask yourself. And it's okay. It's okay to ask yourself that. So, we examined how to identify true branches and false branches, but now I want to focus on two other important truths in this text. I want us to understand and return to God the Father's role as a vine dresser, and also the truth of abiding in Christ. What does it mean to abide in Christ? First, God's role as a vine dresser. His role? He takes away and he prunes. Verse 2 again. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Simply put, the branch that does not bear fruit, God cuts off. And in verse 6, it says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Again, simply put, the false branches, false believers, are thrown into hell. This is not speaking of a Christian who loses his or her salvation. That is impossible. If you're truly born again, you cannot lose your salvation. John 6:39, and this is the will of him who sent me, what that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And John the 10 chapter 28 through 30, he says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So, verse 2 and verse 6 are not simply, not speaking of Christians losing their salvation, but speaking about false professors of Christ. They never had salvation to begin with, just lip service. They are fake, even though they look real. A pastor writes this, Walking in the hot summer sun, we were enjoying a wilderness hike near a saltwater marsh in south Louisiana. Suddenly, my son Jonathan was crying out, It moved, it moved. I looked up, and he was dancing in circles about 15 yards ahead of us. Running to his aid, I arrived to see a small snake gliding away into the grass beside the trail. Jonathan didn't think it was real when he found it. Sunning itself on the path in front of him. Nudging it with his shoe, Jonathan was startled to learn that real snakes bear striking resemblance to fake ones. Fake snakes, I'll reverse it now, fake snakes can look like the real one. Fake Christians can look like the real ones. But God knows those who are his. The next time I speak, we will look at the destiny of the fake. Or the false believer in a little more detail. the second rule of God as vine dresser is he prunes fruit, bearing Christians so they can bear even more fruit. He prunes the Christians that bear fruit so they could bear more fruit. If you know anything about plants, whether it's a vine or a tree, flowers vegetable plants, in order to get opti- optimal growth and big, luscious fruit or big, beautiful flowers, you must prune the plant. I'm going to read an article by j l Garden Center and it answers to the question, why do we prune? We prune to make plants more eye-appealing, to correct potential problems, to keep plants healthy and strong, to encourage more blossoms, and to just make plants more beautiful. One of the most important jobs early in the spring is pruning. Pruning helps you keep the plants growing the way they should, or at least the way you think they should. You see, pruning was an essential part of the first century, vital cultural practice as it is today. And in the same way we want our trees and plants to be productive, God wants his people as fruitfully productive as they can be. So what does he do? He prunes us, but pruning can be painful, can't it? I read a California vineyard. I read that a California vineyard in the summer, they're beautiful with endless rows of lush green grapevines. Their foliage expands so fast that you can almost see them grow. But their health is a direct result of pruning they underwent in the winter. In the winter, all you see in these vineyards are bare, twisted trunks. It's not very beautiful. The viticulturists practice several stages of pruning. There is pinching to remove the growing tip so it will not grow too rapidly, and also topping when a foot or two of new growth is removed to prevent the loss of an entire shoot. Another pruning technique is in pruning is that They thin the grape clusters, which enables the rest of the bunch to bear more fruit and better quality fruit. Also, the cutting away of suckers gives more nourishment to the whole plant. The vines are pruned in the winter or fall, so that the main stock will have more advantageous growth and fruit. To the unknowledgeable person, this seems like a waste of time. But to the experienced person, it is the only way to grow healthy, delicious fruit. This is the same for for Christian life. This is the same. It is no different. Even though pruning involves pain, it is necessary for spiritual growth and fruit. David understood this, didn't he? He writes in Psalm 119, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Then it's Psalm 119, in the same chapter, verse 71, he says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. God, in His infinite mercy and wisdom, prunes the believer to remove anything that takes away from our spiritual growth. He removes disloyalties. He removes sins. And things that are not necessarily sin, but distracting in our Christian walk and our devotion to Christ. What is it? Is it sin? Is it disloyalty? Is it a hobby? I like to fish. It's fishing taking my eyes off of Christ. It's fishing taking my devotion away from Christ. I have to always ask myself that. It may not necessarily be sin. It could be sin. These pruning disciplines may come through trials, sufferings, sickness, financial hardship, or persecution. They come in many Shapes, sizes, or forms. The writer of Hebrew tells us in twelve six For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. When our parents disciplined us when we were children because we did something wrong, we hated to hear two things. This is for your own good son, or this hurts me more than it does you. Right? Remember remember that? but they were right. It was for our good, so we wouldn't continue down a wrong path and grow up to be mature and respectable. And it did hurt them to see us in pain, but they endured their pain for our benefit. God in His sovereign wisdom prunes us so we can bear fruit and more fruit. And let me ask you again, how do we bear fruit and glorify God? We abide in Christ. What does it mean to abide in Christ? But I think it's important to understand this. The word abide abide is used 10 times in 11 verses. Do you think God is trying to get a point to us? The word abide in Greek, meno, means remain, stay, live, dwell, last, endure, continue, await, wait for. Verses 4 and 5. Again. Abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. So what does it mean to abide in Christ? I don't think to abide in Christ is something mystical. Mystical. Or some indefinable experience. I believe it is these realities. First, we can only abide in Christ by grace through faith. It is by grace we have been saved through faith. God the Father as the divine gardener has grafted us into Christ. John 6.44 Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them." It's the Father who draws the sinner to Christ and grafts us in, as we see in Romans 11. Also, it is by Christ, by His Word, who has cleansed us so we can have union with Him, so we can abide in Him. No one is in Christ unless they are regenerated or born again by the imperishable seed of the Word. In verse 3, Jesus tells his disciples, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. They were already saved and cleansed because of the word Jesus spoke to them. Christ's word cleanses us. Christ spoke the gospel to us. We embraced it. We were saved and we were grafted into Christ. And now we are abiding in Christ. All is sovereign. All is of grace. Jesus said in 15... Verse 5, he said, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Two, our abiding in Christ means that we are obedient to him. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And then verse 10, he says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Abiding means actively responding to Christ's teachings. Can a Christian consistently disobey God and be called a Christian? No. But do we as Christians, true, true, genuine Christians, always obey God? No. But we're on that road. We, we, we do what Paul says. We strive for perfection. We strive to obey Him. And we do. Ultimately we do. We may fail from time to time, but we persevere. Paul told the Colossians in the third chapter, the 16th verse, he said, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Dr. Sinclair Ferguson says, "In a nutshell, abiding in Christ." I wish I had his his Scottish accent. I mean, it's so I've heard him a number of times. He's so I love it. It really, you know, I can't say it as well as either. So you have to put up with my Brooklyn accent instead of a Scottish accent. In a nutshell, abiding in Christ means allowing His Word to fill our minds, direct our wills, and transform our affections. In other words, our relationship to Christ is intimately connected to what we do with our Bibles. Then, of course, as Christ's Word dwells in us and the Spirit fills us, we will begin to pray in a way consistent with the will of God and discover the truth of our Lord's often misapplied promise. You will ask and you will uh, what you desire and it shall be done for you. Third thing is abide in his love. We must rest our lives in the love of God, the one who laid his life down for us. We must never allow ourselves to drift from meditating daily on the cross. I have to consciously, daily meditate on the cross and the love of God. Otherwise, everything else will fill my mind. I want to, daily, remind myself of that also abiding in his love is intrinsically connected to obedience Jesus said in John 14 verse 15 if you love me you will keep my commandments Dr. Ferguson said again furthermore remaining in Christ's love comes to, comes to very concrete expression simple obedience rendered to him is the fruit and evidence of love for him and the fourth one is we accept The pruning process. Why? Well, as I said before, so God can remove disloyalty, sins, and things that are not necessarily sin, but distracting our Christian walk and our devotions to Christ. The next time I speak, part two, we will look at point two, Christ is a consuming fire for those who are not abiding in Him. And point three, Christ's life flows into us as we abide in Him, with glorious promises let me conclude with let me conclude part one with a story and a few closing comments first a story on how Hudson Taylor any, any of you ever heard of Hudson Taylor he was the missionary to China famous missionary to China very well respected missionary Missionary pioneer J. Hudson Taylor of China was working and worrying so frantically that his health was about to break. Just when his friends feared he was near a breakdown, Taylor received a letter from a fellow missionary, John McCarthy, that told of a discovery McCarthy had made from John 15, the joy of abiding in Christ. McCarthy's letter said in part, Abiding, not striving or struggling, looking off unto him, trusting him for present power, this is not new and yet tis new to me. Christ literally all seems to me now the power, the only power for service, the only ground for unchanging joy. As Hudson Taylor read this letter, at his mission station in Chin on Saturday, September 4th, 1869, his own eyes were open. As I read, he recalled, I saw it all. I looked to Jesus, and and when I saw, oh, how the joy flowed. Writing to his sister in England, he said, As to work, mine was never so plentiful, so responsible, or so difficult, but the weight and the strain are all gone. The last month or more, has been perhaps the happiest of my life, and I long to tell you a little of what the Lord has done for my soul. When the agony of my soul was at its height, a sentence in a letter from dear McCarthy was used to remove the scales from my eyes, and the Spirit of God revealed the truth of our oneness with Jesus, as I have never known before it. McCarthy who had been much exercised by the same sense of failure, but saw the light before I did, wrote, and I quote from memory, but how, but how to get faith strengthened, not by striving after faith, by resting in the faithful one. And as I read, I saw it all. As I thought of the vine and the branches, what light the blessed spirit poured into my soul. Not by striving after faith, but by resting in the faithful one. Are you striving or are you resting on the faithful one? Sometimes I strive and I'm not resting in the faithful one. And when I do that, I can't tell you the anxiety that overtakes my life. But when I rest in the faithful one, I'm at peace. I have peace and joy, unspeakable and full of glory. If you're a believer, you are like a living branch. And you are attached to the living vine, Jesus Christ. The vine gives life to the branch, otherwise the branch shrivels up and dies. The vine, Jesus, gives you nourishment so that you can bear fruit. Christ is the only source of spiritual fruit for those abiding in Him. How do we bear fruit and glorify God? Abide in Christ. Love Him. Obey Him. Depend on Him. Honor Him. Rest in Him. And remain in Him. And recognize that all this happens by His sovereign grace. If we abide in Christ... We will bear fruit until, listen to this, until the day we die. Psalm 92, I'll close with this. Actually, I'll close with a quote. But this is the last scripture I will read. Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15. The righteous flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of the Lord. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. They still bear fruit in old age. They are full of, ever full of sap and green. Why? To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. I want to quote Corey Ten Boone. And I want to end with this. Connected with him in his love, I am more than a conqueror. Without him, I am nothing. Let's pray. Father God, teach us to rest in you. Teach us what it truly means to abide in you. Help us to depend on you, your mercy and your grace. And by doing so, we will bear fruit, lasting fruit, all to your glory. In Jesus' name, We pray. Amen. Amen.